Hey, if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Steve, and it is great to be here with you this morning. If you are in junior high or high school, uh, you are free to go ahead and join the uh, youth ministry Bible study that's just down the hall. So if you are in either of those groups, uh, please go ahead and do that. The rest of you, however, I would like to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, I, I just have to tell you that, that I have, you might call this a disease, a condition, whatever you want to call it, that some of you might not know exists, but once I describe it to you, you might realize that you have it as well. This condition, this disease, whatever you want to call it, is called CFE, which stands for Constant Food Envy. Constant Food Envy. Here's, here's, a, here's how you can know if you have this condition. CFE, constant food envy, is a condition in which whenever you're eating something and you see someone else eating something else, all of a sudden you have this insatiable desire to be eating whatever that other person is eating. Here's, here's how this plays out. My favorite restaurant happens to be Taco Bell. Why do people laugh when I say that? I, I'll go to Taco Bell... And I'll order something such as the number three, which is three supreme tacos, or the number five, which is the nacho bel grande, or the number 11, which is three supreme Doritos Locos tacos. I could go on. (laughs) I'll, I'll order my food. I'll wait for my food. I'll start eating my food. And everything is great until about halfway through the meal when I look up and I realize that there's a guy next to me or a girl across from me who's eating a cheesy gordita crunch or a grilled stuffed nacho. And all of a sudden I realize that what they're eating is what I really want to be eating, and my CFE, my constant food envy, kicks into overdrive. The amazing thing, though, is that if you have a really bad case of CFE like I do, you don't just get jealous of other foods that other people are eating. You get jealous of the same foods that other people are eating. So I'll be eating my three Doritos Locos Tacos, And I'll look over and I'll see someone else eating Doritos Locos tacos. And yet somehow, don't ask me how, their tacos look so much better than mine. They have more sour cream. Their cheese looks fresher. It's like like their tacos were made with love and mine were made just out of obligation. And, And I just have to tell you, I get a little sad inside. And for those of you wondering, by the way, If I just made this up one day so that I could have something to talk about, believe me, I wish that was the case. (laughs) But, But what happens to me at Taco Bell happens to you too sometimes. Maybe you'll you'll understand. Maybe it doesn't happen at the world's best Mexican restaurant chain. Again, not a joke. But but it can happen at your office. It can happen in your parking lot. It can happen in your neighborhood. You'll see that guy over that girl, guy over there, or that girl over there who works half as hard as you do, and get, yet gets paid twice as much. And you're thinking, why can't I have that job? Why can't my life be like that? You get out of your car, which is almost old enough to where it could start collecting social security checks, and, and you see that guy over there or that girl over there get out of that car that still has the dealer plates on it, and you can walk by it. And even though the windows are up, you still smell, you know, the new car smell. And you're going, why can't I have that? Why can't my life be like that? Or your neighbor comes over bragging about his kid's big scholarship or this big promotion that he got at work, and you're going, why can't I have that? Why can't my life be like that? And then you go online, and somehow it gets even worse, where everyone's getting married, and everyone's having babies, and everyone's having, getting new houses or going on new adventures, new trips, and you're going, why can't I have that? Why can't my life 
be like that. And if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that this stuff gets really hard really fast. You hear and you know and you believe that Jesus came to change everything, that the whole world is different because he came. He came to give us life. He came to give us hope. He came to transform the world. And that's fine for the world. But what about my world? If Jesus came to make the whole world different, then why is my world still the same? Some of you might be familiar with a guy in the New Testament named John the Baptist. John was a guy who'd been sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. His message was one of repentance. He invited people to come back to God. And part of that job involved telling powerful people things that they didn't want to hear. And so at one point, a guy named Herod, who was the emperor of Rome, had divorced his own wife and married his brother's wife. John told Herod that what he had done was an evil thing, and so Herod had John thrown into prison. After about a year in prison, John started to ask the question that you or I would ask in his situation. How much longer am I going to be stuck here? Am I ever going to be out of here? John, who was Jesus' cousin and his close friend, knew what Jesus had been doing for people. He knew that Jesus had been letting blind people see, and deaf people hear, and lame people walk, and dead people live. He knew that Jesus had come to bring power and healing and life to people. Jesus is doing all of these things for all of these people, and yet, somehow, John is still stuck in prison. John is seeing all of these great things happening for all of these people, and from his prison cell, he's asking, why can't I have that? Why can't my life be like that? I want the miracle. I want the freedom. I want the great story to tell. I want the grilled stuffed nacho. And yet he doesn't have any of those things. And so he's starting to wonder, hey, Jesus, what gives? Look with me at Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. Here's what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And, the men, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All right, so, so in this passage, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus a question, and it is, to say the least, a loaded question. The question and the implication is this. Jesus, if you are the one who has come to change everything, then you are necessarily obligated to rescue John from his current circumstances and to get him out of this prison. So why haven't you? They're asking Jesus, if you are so good... And if you are so powerful, then why is John still in prison? You ever asked that question? You ever looked at your life and compared it to someone else's life and asked God, is it just that you're not really powerful, or is it just that you don't really care? I'll tell you, I'll tell you the question that I've asked the most. It's not, are you powerful, or do you care? It's, 
is your aim off a little bit. It's like, it's like God is up in heaven with this giant fire hose filled with blessings. And you and I are all here on earth asking God to rain down blessings into our buckets. And it's like, it's like this guy's bucket's getting filled and this guy's bucket's getting filled. But your bucket and my bucket, you're looking at it and going, hello, I'm right here. Did you miss me? When, when I was in high school, my two best friends were named John and Nate. Both guys, uh, they met really nice girls, and, and after college, they both got married. Now, John was a nice guy. He was the kind of guy who'd do anything for you, never expected anything in return. Y- you can't help but root for a guy like John. So John meets Erica. They're getting married, and everyone's happy, including me. Nate, on the other hand, most of my memories of him involve him attempting to or succeeding in putting me through various forms of physical pain. One time, I'm not making this up, one time he drove all the way out to my house so that I could open the door and he could show me his new airsoft gun and just how much more it would hurt to get shot by this one than by the last one. (laughs) He empties a clip right into my stomach and then drives off. Other, Other times, we would go to Taco Bell And while I was filling up our drinks, he was switching the supreme tacos that I had paid for with the regular tacos that he had paid for. And if about halfway through the meal, I noticed that I'm eating normal tacos and he's eating supreme tacos, I'd say, hey, I think I've got the wrong tacos. And he'd just laugh it off and say, oh yeah, I guess that happens sometimes. And yet, Nate meets a girl named Coral, and for whatever reason, she agrees to marry him. And for whatever reason, probably again out of the fear of some type of physical abuse if I, if I refused, I agreed to be his best man. And so when they're getting married, I'm thinking, to borrow a phrase from one of the great thinkers of our time, Jerry Seinfeld, if I'm the best man, how come he's the one getting married? You, you, know, you know, God, John, John's a great guy, and if you want to fill up his bucket with blessings, that's, that's great. You're for it. John's for it. I'm for it. But, but Nate, you don't even like Nate. <laughs> he doesn't deserve a bucket. He deserves a strainer. <laughs> and so I'm going, are you sure you didn't miss with that last blessing? And so the disciples are saying, Jesus, look, look Jesus, you're doing all these great things for all of these people, and they're bringing their buckets to you empty, and when they're leaving you, their buckets are filled, and that's great. That's awesome. We love that. But let's talk about your servant, John. When are you going to fill his bucket? Verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Okay, Jesus, that's, that's great. That's awesome that you're doing that for all those people. But John, the guy who was sent by God to prepare the way for you, the guy who, as a result of the work that he was doing for you, is now in prison. His bucket is empty. When are you going to fill it? Verse 22. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Okay, Jesus, look, awesome. I'm on this, you're on this, we're all good on this. Fine, wonderful. But seriously, when are you going to put something in John's bucket? Verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
Other translations read, blessed is the one who does not fall away from me because of these things. John's disciples are asking Jesus, when are you going to put something in John's bucket? When are you going to fill John's bucket? And Jesus is saying, I already have. I've already filled John's bucket. See, you you and I assume that in order to have God's blessing on your life, things have to turn out well for you. Your business is supposed to succeed. The cancer should go into remission. Your kids should make good decisions. Your baby should sleep through the night. The person that you married should turn out to be the exact same person that they said they were. I mean, sure, occasionally you'll have one bad day or a bad night or maybe even a bad week, but the vast majority of the times, things should work out in your favor. That's what it means to be blessed, right? Where'd you get that information? Did you check your source on that? Do you want to know what was in John's bucket, what Jesus had already put there and was now in the process of putting there? A life and a death that mattered. A life and a death that counted for something. John declared the supremacy of Christ when he lived, and he would declare the supremacy of Christ when he died. His life mattered. His death mattered. That was his blessing. That is what was in his bucket. Bill Thrasher puts it this way. He says, you can have a light load if your purpose is to live a mediocre life. Let me read that again. You can have a light load if your purpose is to live a mediocre life. Now, now maybe you're, you're thinking, Steve, I don't want what's in my bucket. I want nicer things, shinier things, better things in my bucket. Let me ask you something. What if I told you that God has something that he wants to do, not just in your life, but through your life, and that those things will only be possible if you are willing to take anything and everything that he puts in your bucket, then would you accept what's in your bucket? So you might be asking, well, what, what, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you something. There's an undeniable truth. You know this. I know this. Everybody knows this. That the best people to help you go through something are people who've gone through it themselves. Marianne and I have a friend in Chicago. Uh, th- this girl got married a little bit later in life, and, and one of her gifts is, is hospitality. She loves opening up her home to people, especially to singles in their mid to late 20s. Now, again, she's older than that. She's married, but this is something that's really important to her. You want to know why that is? Because she got married later in life. She knows what it's like to be in your 20s, to see all of your friends getting married, and to think, what's wrong with me? And she wants them to know that there's nothing wrong with them. So what? You're not married. You're also not ambidextrous. You don't speak Mandarin and you don't play the cello. What does that have to do with anything? What would your marital status have to do with your value as a person? You know why she wants them to know that? Because she's been there. She knows. And so she can help better than other people who don't know or who haven't been there. I know another guy who, who teaches adult life skills classes for people who've gone blind later in life. And it's something that really matters to him, and it's something that he's really good at. You want to know why that is? Because he's a guy who lost his vision later in life. And he knows what it's like to have to learn how to do everything all over again. 
how frustrating it can be learning to tie your shoes or brush your teeth or, or make a cup of coffee. He knows. He's been there. And so he can help better than those who don't know or who haven't been there. The question is not, what's in your bucket? The question is, what are you doing with it? John sent his disciples to Jesus, just like you or I would have, because he wanted a, a new bucket or something. And Jesus said, I want your bucket to count for something. A few weeks ago, we, we saw an absolute tragedy when an evil man with hate in his heart massacred Christian students on a college campus in Oregon. Many of the people who died, died simply because they declared their faith in Jesus. And that was a wicked thing, and that was an evil thing, and it never should have happened. But I just have to tell you about something that you're not hearing about in the news. Do you know what's happened on college campuses across the country since that day? Do you know how many people have flooded into worship services and prayer meetings and Bible studies on college campuses over the last several weeks? The reaction that you and I would expect from a tragedy like that is that people would run from Christ or that they'd hide the fact that they're a Christian because it might cause harm to them. And yet the exact opposite thing is happening. People who at one point had absolutely no interest in God or Jesus or the Bible are saying, look, I don't know what I believe, but I know that it's not worth dying for. And they're saying, I'm not looking to die for something, but I at least want to have something in my life that's worth dying for. What happened on that campus, it never should have happened. It's sick. It's wrong. And I'm sure that many of those students prayed for themselves and asked God to save their lives. And God did save some of them. And yet for those whom he didn't save, you want to know what? Their lives, their deaths, they're counting for something. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the spiritual awakening that is happening on so many campuses across our country could not have happened without these students dying for what they believed. I am going to tell you, though, that these students who died did not die in vain, that their lives and their deaths are counting for something, and that they will not soon be forgotten. Now, you do not need to, in fact, I would even go so far as to say, you should not ask God to bring bad or difficult things into your life. If you're in good health, there is no need for you to pray, Lord, please make me sick. If your job is going well, there is no need for you to pray, Lord, please let me get fired. If your kids are being obedient to you and to God, there is no need for you to pray, Lord, please let one of them wander. You don't have to ask for difficult times. Believe me, they'll come anyway. And even when those times do come, and again, they will come, I just have to tell you that the desire that you have or that I have to have what's in someone else's bucket, to have someone else's job or someone else's kids or someone else's health or, or someone else's house or someone else's Nacho Bel Grande, I don't even think that that's a bad desire to have. Before going to the cross, Jesus himself prayed, Lord, please take this cup from me. And yet you'll notice that Jesus prayed. He prayed for his own salvation. And instead, he got the salvation of the entire world. You are free. You are free to pray and to ask God for anything. 
to ask him for healing and prosperity and health and safety. You are free to ask for a promotion, a spouse, a child, a cure. You can ask God for anything that you could possibly imagine because God loves giving good gifts to his children. My only encouragement to you would be that you do not ask him, when are you going to fill my bucket? Because if you spend your time focusing on that question, you may very well miss the fact that he already has. Maybe what's in your bucket, maybe what you're going through right now is going to help you relate to someone else who's going through it. Maybe now, maybe in the future. Maybe what's in your bucket is simply the gift of being able to turn your attention to God in the middle of a situation that would otherwise cause you to run from him. Maybe your bucket is being filled with the closeness that comes between you and God and that can come no other way than the nights that you lie awake praying for your child to come home. Maybe what's in your bucket is a life like that of John the Baptist, where your life and your death will count for more than you could possibly imagine. Now, you may have noticed that, uh, that on your seat this morning, you've got a little, little bucket like this, a little pen. We've got some extras around, so if you don't, if you don't have one, go ahead and, and grab one for me. And I just want to ask you, what's, what's in your bucket? Not what do you wish would be in your bucket. Not what are you trying to convince other people is in your bucket. Not what are you hoping that someday may finally be in your bucket, but rather, what's in your bucket right now? Are there some things in your bucket that you wish weren't there? Are there some things that you're going through where you're saying, Lord, take this bucket from me? Can I ask you a question? If having those things in your bucket, if having those disappointments, those setbacks, those frustrations, those hurts, if having those things are the means by which God is going to do something in someone else's life, Will you be willing to carry those things with you? Are there some things in your life that you have been so focused on getting rid of or getting out of that you have not yet stopped to think that maybe somehow God, by his mercy and in his timing, might actually be using for your good and for the good of those around you? Are there some things that it's time to take a break from asking God to take them out of your life and instead, it's time to start asking God to use those things in your life and in other people's lives. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your singleness, your health, your financial pressure. Are there some things that you've been asking God to remove, and instead you are now ready to say, you know what, Lord, I don't enjoy having these things in my life, but I am willing to carry them for someone else's good. I'm willing to carry them so that I can tell your story. If so, you're going to have an opportunity this morning to give some of those things over to God. We're going to do communion in a little bit. We've got uh, the communion crackers. We've got grape juice and wine on tables over here and over here. But before you go and take that, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to take the bucket that you've been given. And if there's something in your life, maybe one or two or three things that is unpleasant, but that you are willing to carry for the sake of Christ. I want you to write down those things in your bucket. I'm going to invite you, after you've done that, to go take communion, and then to go add your bucket to our buckets. 
And so when you have one, of those, one or two of those things written down in your bucket, uh, you, you can come join us for communion. But again, before you go back to your seat, I want you to come right up here. Just drop your, drop your bucket off in, in one of our buckets. Joining your church in our commitment to God that we will embrace whatever he gives us, not because it is pleasant, but because we know that his glory is more important than our comfort.